heard about three taxidermists who stopped before a window in which an owl was there on display. And the first one commented on how beautiful this owl was. Look at that fine specimen. It's absolutely magnificent. Second one said, you really think so? It's not mounted very well. And the third one chimed in, well, look at his eyes. They don't look very natural. And the second one said, well, look at his wings. Even the feathers aren't really neatly arranged. His feet could be improved. And so these two went on and on and looked at every part of this owl, criticising every single aspect of it. The first taxidermist, who thought it was a magnificent specimen, felt quite deflated. Until the owl in the shop turned his head and winked at them. How do you see life? Do you see the life through the lens of joy? Or through the lens of negativity? We've been looking together in the book of Philippians, because Philippians is the book in the Bible that talks about joy. About how to look through life through the lens of joy. How to look at that owl in the window and say, this is magnificent. Rather than saying, yeah, but it's not perched very well and its wings aren't that great and so on. Looking through that lens of negativity and criticism. Think about your life. How often do you look at something and start to criticise? Or do you look at something and immediately praise and encourage? Are you a... England aren't going to do very well in the World Cup. Probably true, but England are going to do... Or are you more of a... Let's just wait and see. They could do really well. Who knows? It's just a game. One match at a time. Which are you? We've been looking, as I said, in Philippians. And Philippians, as we reminded ourselves, first speaks about the characteristics or the soil that we need in our life for joy. Thanksgiving, confidence, affection and prayer keeps talking about those at the start and Paul says we need those if we're going to have a life that has joy within it. And then last week we looked at Paul and his attitude. Here he is in prison under house arrest, likely facing the death penalty. And what does he do? He maintains that positive attitude about his situation and about his calling and he encourages other people to do the same. And today we're going to continue because today in chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul talks about another essential that we need to have if we're going to have joyful lives. Lives that overflow with that encouragement and that uh, positive outlook on life rather than one that is negative and critical. Let's pray together before we read. Lord, as we read again your word today, we ask that you would... Teach us from your spirit. Show us the the parts of your word that you want to reveal to us today. Lord, we are your children. We sit at your feet and we learn from your spirit. So teach us, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. 
Paul says this, If you have any encouragement, chapter 2 of Philippians, from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship from the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should, not, should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Your attitude, attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's look at this together. Now it starts off if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort, if any fellowship, if any tenderness and compassion. And what Paul is saying is not like if as in, well, if it's happened to you. But what he, what he says is, is it's expressing a certainty. If such and such is true, and I know that it is, then this is going to happen. If you are going to turn 50 in August, and we know this is true, I can show you the birth certificate, then there will be a party. Right? It's going to happen. It's a certainty. It can't be changed. It's one of those, if two and two is four, then the rest of maths all falls into place. Right? It's a certainty. And Paul's saying not if you have, as if you might say, well I haven't had any encouragement from being united with Christ. It's really like since, since you've had encouragement from being united with Christ, since you've had comfort from his love, since you've had fellowship with the Spirit, since you've had tenderness and compassion, since God has blessed you with all of those things, and he has you and he has me, then Paul says this is how we are to respond. And what does he say? Verse 2, he says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. He says, since God has blessed us and God has done all this first, how do we respond? Well, the first thing he says is respond in head unity. Look at verse 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. Now he doesn't mean here that we are to all think exactly the same. It, what it means is we're, we're not all to be, you know, is thinking exactly, I know, it's just what you mean. That's exactly the thought I was having. We're not all to be identical. What he's saying here is that we should all have the same kind of mindset. We see things, look at things in the same way, starting from the same foundation, the same starting point. Let me show you something. I'm going to show you a picture on the screen. And I want you to look at this picture for a moment. Just look at the picture in general. And then I want you to focus on one particular part of the picture. 
Okay, you done that? Who's focusing on the dog? Okay, now not to start with, just who's, who's still focusing on the dog? A few of you. Who's, who's focusing on the, the kind of the stepped bits going up in the middle there? Yeah, the hills, yeah, some of you. Who's focusing on the little village on the right there? That's what I was looking at, right? Who's focusing in the distance on the mountains? Yeah, some of you are doing that. Right? Who's focusing on the left-hand side? On whatever that little donut thing is on top there of the mountain. There's different things to focus on. Now, it's the same picture, isn't it? We're all looking from the same perspective, right? We're looking from the same angle. We're all standing there, effectively, next to whoever's dog that happens to be. It's just a random picture I took off the internet. I have no idea where it is, no idea what it is. But we're all just citizens, right? So we're all standing there, looking out from the same perspective. And yet, we're all looking at different things. We're all focusing on different things. We're all staring at it and trying to figure out what the different things means. The different emphasis. And Paul is saying that we need to be like that. Be like-minded. Start from the same starting point. But don't all look at the same thing. Because your experience and your heart and your and uh, other things within you will cause you to look at different parts, different things. So what's he really saying in our Christian faith? Well, he's saying we need to be like-minded when it comes to the major things about our faith. The nature of God, the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, salvation by faith, the return of Christ, inspiration, authority of Scripture. We need to agree on those. We need to have that as our starting point. That we're all standing together. There are some things about our faith that we need to, to get a hold of, that we need to grasp, and we need to embed it firmly in our lives. Because we are standing together, just in the same place. But then there are other things in our lives, the minor issues, that we can have different opinions on. We can focus on different things, have different passions, different areas. That's not a problem. The problem is when we mix them and we don't get them right. E. Stanley Jones, who was a missionary to India, said this. He said, talk about what you believe in and you have disunity. Talk about who you believe in and you have unity. It's pretty, pretty good, that is. Talk about what you believe in, you'll have disunity. Talk about who you believe in, that's when you have unity. If you focus on Jesus Christ, you'll have unity. You focus on all these other things, there'll be disunity like you see in the church. Somebody else said this, there's two dangers in the Christian church. Number one is that we major on the minors. And the second thing is that we minor on the majors. What it's saying is that one danger is that we major on all these silly little things. We, we, we disagree with what might be over there on the left hand side halfway up that hill. And we go, well that's a hill fort. Oh no it's not, it's something else. And we all start disagreeing about it and we get so focused on that we miss the whole of the rest of the picture. 
Because we're too busy arguing our points about that one little thing. And the other danger is that we so focus on that thing that we, we, we don't even bother looking at anything else. What kind of dog is it? It's an Alsatian. No, it's not an Alsatian. It's a husky. No, it's not a husky. And we fall out over what kind of dog it is instead of looking at the whole thing. We major on the minor things in church life instead of focusing on the important things. Major on the things, Paul says. Be like-minded. How can you have joy? First of all, you need to be like-minded. There needs to be a unity in your mind, in our heads together. A unity which says these are the important things. The other things we're free to disagree with. We'll do it out of respect. We'll do it with an openness that allows others to disagree with us and us to disagree with them, but we hold our convictions and allow Christ to influence us. But the major things are the gospel. What it really means, what Jesus was really talking about, those we need to agree on. Those we should not compromise. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 19, when two or three agree, I'm right there. And the agree is the word we get for symphony. When two or three are in symphony together, when they're playing music together, when they're sounding the same harmonies together, then, then I'm right there in the middle of them. And Paul is saying the same thing here. Be like-minded. Focus your minds together. Hold on to the major things and let go of the minor things. How many churches do you know that are split over carpet colours and chairs versus pews and all these kind of ridiculous things? If you're going to split a church, split it over something that's important at least instead of the, you know, the unimportant things. That's the first thing he says. Look at further on in verse 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having that unity of heart, and then having the same love. Allow your heart to have unity as well. Not just your heads, but your heart having the same love. Love the things that Jesus loves. You want to know what you should do? Then say, what would Jesus do in this situation? Where would his compassion go in this situation? We heard about that at the early service, the first service, when Venus was preaching about the parable of Good Samaritan. That's, that's what love is all about. Not about the, the Levite and the priest who walked by because they just didn't want to get involved and they didn't want to get their hands dirty and they didn't. The law says we can't touch you because you're full of blood and you got beaten up and if I do that I'm ceremonially unclean then I can't do my job and oh it's just a hassle. But the Samaritan went and said, here's somebody that God loves and I'm going to love them too. And they picked them up. Jesus said it in, in John 17, 22 and 23. He said to his disciples, just as he was in the upstairs room praying for them. John 17, 22. I have given them, this is what he prays for his believers. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. 
I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. When there is a unity in heart, when we love the things that Christ loves, then evangelism, then showing others about the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes simple. It comes out of that expression of love. When we do something, we show others how Christ loves us, so we go and love them. Luke 10, 27. Love the Lord your God. What does it say? With all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. The great commandment. From Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Love God with everything that you are and out of that love will come a love for your neighbour. It comes out of God loving us. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. And so we allow God to love us. You know, God loves us right now, just as we are. It's the amazing thing about God. Do you ever get up in the morning and look in the mirror? It's a bad idea, isn't it? You know, when you get out of bed and you kind of stumble into the bathroom and you're still asleep and you're kind of feeling around like this because you dare not open your eyes because it's too bright out there this time of year and you're like, okay, and then you first open up and there's your face. It's like, whoa, what is that? And your hair's everywhere if you've got any, right? And you think, my goodness, am I really only 49 I look like 85 right now. You know, and you, and you look at yourself and you think, how could God love me? How, how could he really love me like this? I don't even like looking at myself, let alone allowing him to look at me. Or you do something really ridiculous. You ever done that? And you just think, why did I do that? Why? Why, 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 why? And you think, how can God love me? Because I've done that. How? And the amazing thing is that he does. He loves you just as you are. But he loves us, the mess that we are in our lives, he loves us enough to not leave us there. But to say, you know what? Come with me. Because I want to love you into something better. Into something greater. That's what Luke and Ellie will be doing on Saturday when they get married. Luke will be starting this journey of saying, I want God to use me so that Ellie can become the best that she can be. That will be his role as husband. And Ellie will stand there and say, I want God to use me as a channel of God's spirit so that Luke can become the best that he can be for God's purposes, for God's will. It will be God flowing through them and crossing out through them into one another. 
And that's what a husband and a wife should be. The preeminent channel which God flows through. Not just for their own benefit, but more for their partner's benefit. So that they may grow, that they may mature, that they may be everything God wants them to be. And that's what they'll be doing. That's what they'll be saying on Saturday. That God will use them. Why? Because of that heart. That heart that God says to us, I love you so much. Now, love one another. I heard about a medieval monk who announced that he would be preaching next Sunday evening on the love of God. And as the shadows fell in the cathedral where he was, and the darkness came upon them, everybody gathered, and there was no light in the cathedral at all. It was pitch black. And they all sat there in complete darkness. And this monk walked in, carrying a lighted candle. And he carried it up to the cross, not like our cross, because they had a crucifix with Jesus hanging there. And first he held the candle up and he illuminated the crown of thorns on the head. And then he illuminated one hand with a nail in it. And then the other hand with the other nail. And the foot with the nail through it. And then he held it up to Jesus' side where the spear wound was marked. And he blew the candle out. And left the cathedral. Because there was nothing else to say. For God so loved the world. That he gave his son. That's how much God loves you and me. That he's willing to give everything. So that we might have that same unity of heart. Knowing that he loves us so much. How can we not love one another. With that same love. God loves you. And God loves me. Paul says, get your head in unity. Get your heart in unity. And then he finally says, being one in spirit and purpose. The end of verse 2. Get your soul in unity too. In other words, have the same vision, the same purpose, the same convictions about where you're going as one another. That's where joy will be found. A.T. Robertson described it like each one of us is like a clock. And he says we all have to be at exactly the right time so that when the clock strikes on the hour, we will strike in complete unison. Not all over the place. Paul described it in 1 Corinthians 12, didn't he? Like a body. There were many parts. One part is not better than the other. One part is not more important than the other. They all need to be working. We know that from our own lives. When one part of your body stops working, it's a real hassle, isn't it? And it affects everything. When you wake up with a headache, it's not just your head that hurts. Everything hurts. When you have cramp in your leg, I hate that. Don't you hate that in the middle of the night? Who gets that? Middle of the night cramp. You know it's coming, don't you? Perhaps that's a 49 year old kind of thing, right? But you know it's coming. You're there, you're lying there, and and you're half awake, realising that your leg is going to cramp up. It's always the right leg. I don't know why it's the right leg, but it always is. 
And you're there and you're thinking, I'm going to get cramp in a minute. Is this a dream or is this not a dream? And you're lying there and you can't quite figure out what it is. And then all of a sudden you realise it's not a dream. And by then it's too late. And it's like, ah, 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 isn't it? And you get out and you start hopping around your bedroom, trying to get rid of the cramp. It's terrible. And it doesn't just affect your leg, everything gets affected. It's the same with the body of Christ. He says, be united in your vision, in your purpose, about what God wants you to do. You're a body, you're working together. Every part, every piece, every aspect of your body needs to be working so that the whole body works together. Too often in churches, too often in life, we end up kind of in turf wars. Do you know what I mean? Where we get one bit and we go, this is my bit. This is what I'm going to do. And no one else can do this. And we grab hold of it and we, and we that's my bit. And this is how I'm going to do it. And woe betide anybody that steps on my bit of patch. I, I heard about a church not far away from here one time. They had somebody there that did the flowers on the Sunday. And the flowers were always placed right here in the middle. Beautiful pedestal of flowers. Right in the middle of the church. And it was fine. Absolutely fine. Because the pulpit was over on one side. And that's the way they did it. Except they had a visiting minister that came there. And the minister does what I do and wanders around. And preaches from the centre. And he said, I'm really sorry, but that's where I'm going to be standing. Where the flowers is. Can we move the flowers to one side, please? Should have known better. So... He actually just moved them over to one side. And then he went out and got his water and started getting ready. When he came back in just to put his Bible in, the flowers had moved back. They were right in the middle. And it was like, he said, I'm really sorry, but I I can't really do the service if the flowers are in the middle. Because I'm either going to be standing right in front of the flowers, and I'll probably knock them over. Or, do you mind if we move them to one side? And he talked to the lady who had done the flowers. And he said, I need to move them. And she said, no, you can't. They always go there. They always stay there. And he said, but I can't do the service unless I move the flowers. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to move them just over to one side. Just on the side. Everybody will see them. They're beautiful flowers, but I I just need to be next to them to do the service. He went out to the vestry, had a prayer in the vestry when he walked into the service. The flowers were way back right in the middle again. She moved them back. So he apologised to the congregation. He said, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to move the flowers. She got up and she stormed out of the church. Why? Because he stepped on her turf. That was her thing. And, and her thing was the flowers and they had to be there because that's where they were. But we laugh about that, but how many of us is it the same in our lives? There are things in my life. You can step on all these other things. Elvis Presley sang it, didn't he? I'm not going to break into Elvis, by the way, but about the blue suede shoes. You can do anything, but lay off the shoes. Right? Don't you touch these bits of my life, because they're mine. Everything else, that's fine, I don't care about those bits. But this, it's like the flowers. And Paul says, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, we need a unity that goes beyond that. A unity that recognizes that we are a body working together. We are a team working together. 
That we, that we can't afford to have little bits like this. That says, you're not going to do that. Because that's my thing and you can't touch that. Then there's disunity. And then you won't see the Spirit of God and the power of God at work. As we should do. John Wesley put it like this. He had a dream one night. And he dreamt that he was ushered to the very gates of hell. And he asked the gatekeeper in hell, he said, Are there any Presbyterians here? Yes, came the answer. Are there any Baptists in here? Yes, came the answer. What about the Church of England? Is there anybody from the Church of England in hell? Yes, came the answer. What about the Pentecostals? Are there any Pentecostals in hell? Yes, there are. What about the Methodists? Are there any Methodists in hell? Afraid so. You are see? Afraid so. And every time he asked Catholics, yep, they're here. Yes was the answer. And much distressed, Wesley then was ushered to the very gates of heaven in his dream. And he asked the same question. Are there any Presbyterians in heaven? No. No, he said. What about Baptists? No. What about Methodists? No. Pentecostals? No. URC? No. Anglicans? No. And the answer came back. There are only Christians in heaven. It is so true, is it not? That we need to be that body working together. As a soul, a unified souls together. Looking for the one vision, the one purpose to which Christ has called us. To love and to go and make disciples. That's what he said. Just focus around them. Get unified around them. Go and do that in all the different ways. But make that priority. Then you will have joy. And look quickly at the results of what he says will happen. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not, only not look, not, should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You see what the results are when we have unity together? Unity in our heads, unity in our hearts, unity in our souls, in our vision of where we're going. Do you see what happens? First of all, he says, you're going to have a new attitude towards others. There won't be any selfishness. There won't be any conceit. There'll be no factions. There'll be no, you know, no uh, division amongst you. You won't be doing anything out of selfish ambition. You won't be saying, this is my area. You can't touch that. You'll be having opinions which are different, which are different to others and you'll be adding it all together and saying, let's work together from all of our experiences, from all of our knowledge, from all of our relationships with Christ. Let's work together for the good of the whole, for the good of what Christ wants to do in us and through us. A basketball coach said this, he said, good people do for themselves, but great people do for others. And Paul says, if you have that kind of unity that comes from Christ, that unity of head, heart and soul, then you won't have to worry. You'll have a new attitude towards others. But not only that, he says, but in humility, 
consider others better than yourselves. You're going to have a new attitude towards yourself. Do you know what humility is? Well, how would you define humility? Don't get proud. Give me an answer. How would you define humility? What is humility? Hmm? Not thinking you're the best? Putting others first? Capacity to handling success? Being humble? I'll tell you what humility is. Humility is recognizing where you are before God. That's different than what you said. Because it's not putting yourself too high, but also it's not putting yourself too low. It's saying, this is who I am before God. Humility is me standing before Christ and recognizing who I am before Him. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Agreed. But yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, I'm not the greatest minister in the world, but yes, he's still working in me and through me, because he can. It's about putting yourself exactly where Christ looks at you. Where Christ thinks of you. What he wants to do in you and through you. It's seeing your potential. You know, seeing everything that you could do with Christ's help, as well as seeing all your weaknesses. It's being honest and open before Christ. That's humility. Humility is not like, oh, woe am I, you're better than I am. That's not humility. It's saying, this is who I am before Christ. Yeah, I'm weak. Yeah, I need you. Yeah, I know what you can do in and through me. Because of that, because of who you made me to be, that's humility. And Paul says, if we have that kind of unity... You know what happens? We get a new attitude of humility. We, we go deeper in our understanding of who we are before Christ. Exactly what we are. Where we stand before him. That we can stand in his presence with confidence because of what he's done. That we can stand there saying, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm on the way because you're working through me. Do you understand the difference? That's humility. And the last thing he says is, we have a new attitude towards following him. And then he explains that in verses 5 to 11. We're not going to look at that today, in particular. But only to say, you look at Christ's attitude. Christ's attitude of becoming a servant, even though he didn't need to be. Becoming a humble servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because he did what his father asked him to do, therefore, God lifted him up, exalted him to the highest place, and gave him that name. Paul says, if you want to have joy, then you need to have unity in your life. A unity in your mind, a unity in your heart, and a unity in your soul. We need to. You cannot have joy where there is disunity. It doesn't work. It leaves. But notice how God does it. First, God blesses us. Not because of anything we are or have done 
just because he wants to. He blesses us. And when we acknowledge that blessing that comes from God, since you've encouraged me, since you've given me comfort and strength and compassion and tenderness and fellowship, when I acknowledge that, do you know what happens? My attitude changes. My attitude changes towards myself and towards others and towards God. And do you know what happens when that attitude starts to change? Then God starts to bless us even more. And when he blesses us even more, what do we do? We go back and we acknowledge him even more and say thank you for blessing us. We don't deserve it, but we thank you anyway. And when we acknowledge him even more, what happens? Our attitudes change even more. And when our attitudes change even more, what happens? God blesses us even more. And when he blesses us even more, we go back and we acknowledge him even more. And this circle starts to continue round and round and round of acknowledging God, receiving his blessing because our attitudes are changing. And our attitudes change, he blesses us. And when he blesses us, we acknowledge him. And then when we acknowledge him, our attitudes change and he blesses us. And we go round and deeper and deeper and we see more and more of the Spirit of God working in us and through us. You want to see Trinity Church as a powerhouse in this community? Work for unity. A unity of head, like-minded, a unity of heart, and a unity of soul. We may have four different congregations every Sunday. Different people, but we are one. We're one church. Coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ. To work for the goals, the objectives, the vision that he's given to us. That's why we're here. That's who we are. There's no competition. We're just different. We like to worship. We connect with God in different ways. Sometimes in different languages. And that's awesome. When we do that, as long as we stay unified in head, in heart, in soul. God has amazing plans for Trinity Church. He's brought us all here because that is part of his plan. He's preparing us. He's getting us all ready. He's bringing more and more people in. So that we are ready and we are gradually, he's unfolding his plans before us. Unity is essential if we're going to realize the full blessing which God desires to bring us. A unity of head, of heart and soul. I heard about, just in closing, a number of years ago, the three famous tenors, Jose Carreras, Placido Domingo and Luciano Pavarotti. They all got them all together in Los Angeles to perform. First time, all on one stage together. And the reporter tried to press the issue of the competitiveness of the three men. And Domingo said this, he said, you have to put, when you're on stage, he said, you have to put all of your concentration into opening your heart to the music. You cannot be rivals when you're together making beautiful music. God wants us to make beautiful music for him. And Paul is saying in this part of Philippians that the joy of doing that comes out of the unity 
of working together for his glory. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you have called us here. Each one of us, you've called and brought into this your church. None of us are more important than anybody else. None of us are less important than anyone else. Because we're all parts of that one body, the body of Trinity Church. We want to thank you for bringing us here. We want to thank you for the different gifts and abilities that you've given to us, the different journeys of faith that you've led us through. We want to thank you for the different experiences that you've, you've uh, given to us in our lives. I want to thank you for the different ways in which we see things. Help us to be united over the essentials, but to be gracious in the non-essentials. To be firm and sure on the solid ground of what is important about who we believe in, the Lord Jesus Christ. But that we hold with loose hands, with a loose grip, the things that are on the outside, the trivialities. Sometimes the way we do things, or the way we don't do things. And the other areas... Help us never to have little parts, little empires within the body. It doesn't work. But to give it all to you. That we may, with a unified head and a unified heart of loving you and loving our neighbor. And one vision to going to serve our community. To bring the message of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ wherever we see it, wherever we can in our community. As we do that, we will receive the joy of being blessed abundantly by you. Lord, change our attitudes, change our hearts, change our lives, so that we might be more open to receiving your blessing and being a channel of your blessing for others. And as we do that, may we acknowledge you and lift you high and give you access to more and more of our lives. We thank you for this message from your word. Root it deep in our lives. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.